If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Welcome to another session of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. My guest today is none other than Leah Gervais. She does speak French, but we'll probably keep it English today. And we're going to talk to her about her journey of um, really becoming uh, an entrepreneur. So Leah, take us back to, you know, this idea you came up with. How many years ago was it now? been about five and a half years since I bought the domain. Um, it's kind of, I don't feel like I had a total birthing moment, uh, but I, I guess that that's when I would count it as when it started. So I started my now business about five and a half years ago when I was in my twenties living in Manhattan. And when I was, excuse me, clearly on what I thought would be a very fulfilling path. Uh, of of becoming a lawyer. So I had thought in high school that I would move to go to NYU, move to New York to go to NYU, study, you know, pre-law or or study a track in at NYU that would would be conducive to law school, get a job as a paralegal, become a lawyer, live in New York as a corporate lawyer and really have this kind of thriving career and life uh, as an attorney that I had just assumed would happen in New York. So a lot of parts of that dream were based on wanting to be in New York. I'm from a small town in Colorado, and I just always thought New York City was the best place in the world. I have lived here 11 years. I still think it's the best place in the world. And I really wanted to have kind of all the city had to offer for my life. I wanted to have a great career and and be challenged and be pushed and and just really kind of live everything the city had to offer. So that was my plan. And I was on this track. I had graduated from NYU and I was a paralegal and I had gotten into law schools. And I started realizing that I did not actually want to be a lawyer, thanks to my time as a paralegal and just having more of an inside look into the job itself. There was a lot about it that I didn't like. There was a lot about it that I didn't think worked for me, but I was very afraid to admit this to myself because I had no other prospects. I I didn't know what else to do. I didn't really have any other interests. I had never interned in any other field. And so it was a really scary moment when I had to tell myself that I just wasn't going to enroll in any law school. It wasn't about which law school. It was that I wasn't going to enroll in any. And, you know, looking back, it sounds all a little melodramatic because I was in my 20s and I don't think anyone knows what they're doing in their 20s. But at the time, it felt very scary because I I felt like I was kind of reverting back to being 18 years old. And so I started what was at the time a blog, which is now my business, just to kind of write about what it meant to be a millennial and what it meant to feel like you had this really great career path in front of you, but then not actually felt right about it what it meant to be second guessing master's degrees, which so many of our parents had kind of encouraged us to have. And and basically just questioning the status quo. And I started it to write about it. And the next thing I knew, it caught on. And five and a half years later, here we are. It is my my full-time business. Wow. I, I want to unpack that because I think it's so powerful. So the first thing that I hear you say is that, you know, you love New York, you wanted to have this no opportunity to live in a place that you love. You thought it was the best place in the world. So you created this plan. 
who contributed to the plan of you becoming a lawyer? Where did you get that, that notion? Primarily society and then slightly my parents. I don't think my parents ever pushed me to be a lawyer, but they certainly were excited and proud of the idea that that's what I wanted to be. And I don't think it was about being a lawyer specifically. I think they just were happy to see that I had a plan and that I had some sort of ambition around my career and that I wanted to do something that would push myself and hopefully that would be financially secure. You know, I don't think they cared if that was through law or through finance right. or through medical school or whatever, but any parent I think would be happy to see their kid, you know, kind of on a, what they think to be a, a stable path. Other than them though, and, and secondarily to them, I think it was just a lot of how society talked about graduate school and, and law school and getting your master's and also how my teachers did. It excited me. I thought that it would be a fulfilling, challenging, and just kind of large, if that makes sense, just impactful right. career. And, and I still do think a lot of those things are true if you are meant to be a lawyer. And I, I just was not. It ended up not matching my personality at did all. You, did you complete? Did you get your master's? Nope. I, no, I did not. I did not. So I what, declined. Yeah. At what before, point in time did that. you wake up and go, ugh, this is not for me. It was the day that I had to tell. So I was accepted into three law schools and there was an April morning that I had to tell which law school I was going to enroll in for the fall semester that I was going to enroll. And I had to decline my other two acceptances. So I got accepted in like February and I had been procrastinating for about two and a half months this decision of which law school. And during that time, I was interviewing alum. I was doing campus visits. I was writing pro and cons lists. I was applying to scholarships. I was, in my mind, doing all my diligence, <laughs> to use a legal phrase, to make sure that I was making the right decision about which law school to go to. And, and I'm not a very indecisive person. So looking back, maybe there was some clues around the fact that, you know, this shouldn't have been so hard, but, but it was. And and, and it wasn't that I was stressed about it. I just was trying to make the right decision for myself and my future. And then the day that the deadline came in April, I woke up and I just realized, whoa, whoa, whoa. The decision I'm making isn't which law school I'm going to. It's that I don't want to go to any of them. I am declining. And I called all of them and declined all of them. And I remember... The one, one law school in particular even gave me the option to defer for a year. And they said for a fee of $1,000 or something like that, I could reserve my spot for the following semester, which was a really generous offer, honestly, because that would have saved my acceptance status. It would have prevented me from having to take the LSATs again later on, should I change my mind of applying again, et cetera. And even without thinking, it was sort of like my intuition told me decline that as well shut this door because you're never going to figure out what else you can do unless this is totally sealed off so that was the moment that I said no such a crucial moment in life and I think it's a moment that a lot of people overlook because if you are paddling down that river to a certain point there's a certain amount of pressure of the parents the expectations the investment of time and money by this time, had you invested a decent amount in your education? Had anybody helped you? I was, I had considerable student loans from undergrad at this time. My parents did help me, but I still took out a, quite a bit of debt for, for school. I went to NYU, which is a, a very pricey school. I was in that situation. 
And then I also had invested what I felt like was a considerable amount of time into my into the legal profession. I had been working as a paralegal for nearly three years at this point. I had invested all of my extra time and money around that job to study for the LSATs. And I really didn't have any other professional skills. And so that's why it was scary declining this path, knowing that I didn't want to be a paralegal forever. I didn't want to be a lawyer. And I felt like I didn't have any experience to take to other fields or to take to other job applications. You know, looking back, I think that that probably wasn't as big of a deal as it felt like at the time, because I was in my early 20s. People make career pivots more frequently now than they used to. It's not a huge red flag, but I really did feel like I, I basically felt like I was, I was 18 all over again. Well, you know, what's interesting is that have you ever gone to a movie and you're like halfway through it and you're thinking this just isn't getting any better, but I paid yeah. and, and I'll, I guess I'll just watch it to the end. Have you ever had that happen? Of course, for sure. And I think that happens to a lot of people in life is they're in a relationship or they're in a career and they're like, God, maybe it'll get better or, you know, right. I put this much into it. I can't quit now. What will people think? Um, and I'm of the, of the, the notion in movies. I'm like, listen, it's 45 minutes into it. I'm out of here. That next hour and a half is my life. I go down, I ask for a refund and mm -hmm. I try to take stock of all of that. So I'm putting an emphasis on this because I'm sure there are many people out there and I'm sure you're going to tell me based on your blog that many people related to you because how do you know at that young age what the rest of your life is going to look like, what you're going to do? You don't know what you don't know. When right. you become a lawyer, you, like, you have no idea. I run a mastermind group where I help people become financially free. I have many people that are lawyers and doctors that are learning how to purchase real estate, run Airbnb, becoming authors, et cetera. And they can't wait until they get out of that career that they spent 10 to 12 years studying to get into. That's right. That's right. And how sad is that? That not only that, it's like I, I joke with people because today Google will hire about, I think it's 19% of the people, they, they, they want people with no college education. The reason is that they want total creativity to come out of these people's mind. Nothing, nothing, no boxes that they're put into. But right. imagine if you wanted to become a doctor and they sent you to be, to get your two year degree in uh, welding. And you had to spend the money and the time to become a welder, but never use any of that information to be a doctor. That would be crazy, right? Right, 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 right. Yet people are doing it all the time. They're going right. down a path, they're getting an education. They think that's what they want. And then they're not using any of that for pretty much the rest of their life. And so right. I teach people that if you can become financially free, if you can win the money game, then you can actually do whatever you want for the rest of your life. Right. I, I do agree with that. I think I, I uh, an approach that I would have amongst a similar vein is that if you can also get, I think sales is a very freeing skill to have. If you can get good at selling things, then you will have a lot of mobility in your life and you won't have to be as, as targeted. And I'm sure that that's some part of what you include in your mastermind. Yeah, as well. of course, because, mm -hmm. you know, you can sell, you can sell anything. Like I have a solar company. So, uh, you know, 20 years ago when I was selling real estate, I didn't think, well, will this skill transfer over to run a, a solar team? 
But once you're good at sales, then you understand the process. You can sell anything and you can sell things that make the planet better or whatever the case may be. So tell me a little bit about what happened when you started writing this blog and people started connecting with you. What were they connecting on? What resonated with them? I think the first thing that hit home for a lot of people was the idea of, I thought I should go to graduate school because I think a lot of people get to this place where kind of what you had just alluded to with your movie analogy, which I love, you go to undergrad, you get a job in a seemingly good position or a good company or uh, in the field in which you're educationally trained. And you feel like, especially I think for people in their 20s and, and even early 30s, you, you sort of go through this weird phase where your whole life has been about momentum. You know, you've been working to get into college and then you were working through college and then you were working to get a job and then you were working to get, you know, your first position and then you get it. And it, then it's sort of just this like pause where you're like, whoa, okay, I'm not working toward the next thing, the next schooling, the next application, the next thing, quite the quite the same way anymore. Is this what I really want my day-to-day life to look like? And I think to your point, a lot of the answers are are no. And and I think it's a, a hard no to swallow some of the time because for many of us, we end up in positions that on the surface are at least fine, if not great, meaning we have a job, we have benefits, we have reliable income and, and healthcare and all of that. We have an upward trajectory. We probably have a nice, you know, a nice enough place to live at that point. Things on the surface look pretty good. And I think a lot of people feel like they need to be grateful for that. And if they start questioning that, then that could mean that they're not or that they they, they are, are greedy or wanting more or whatever the case may be. Nonetheless, I do think people hit that kind of moment where they're like, huh, I don't really want to just get up and do the same thing over and over for the rest of my life. And it, then I think that's where a lot of people think maybe I should go to get to graduate school. They should maybe go to get their master's or maybe do something you know elevated or even slightly different because they think that that is what will get them a higher salary, a higher position maybe a different, it, it also puts them back in that momentum mode of like doing the next thing, chasing the next thing, going toward the next level. And, and I believe that that is a mistake. And I think that that's what people really resonated with on my story was realizing that a lot of people are going toward their masters or getting their masters or have their masters because they thought it would fill this void or fill this gap or fill this desire for something clearer with their own purpose or that lights them up more. And they found that not to be true. And then they're kind of in this situation of, of now what? And I think that that's what people clung on to, to my story. And it's funny because when I look back now, I remember writing about being in that situation and thinking, I don't know if anyone's going to like my story or like my blog or like this message because I don't have an ending yet. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what job I'm going to have. I don't know what my career is going to look like. I just declined law school and I quit my job as a paralegal and I have this blog and I'm just trying to figure things out. I don't know if people are going to even want to hear from me, but I think that it was that authenticity and that just way that people were able to kind of come on the journey with me that really allowed them to connect with me. And as it grew and as I monetized my blog itself, and as I started realizing, Hey, this not only could lead me to the documentation of my career, this thing could be my career, you know, it it kind of snowballed from there. Then people wanted to start learning about how I started something around my nine to five job, which was this blog and how I learned to monetize it and 
what the internet could offer and maybe could they have more freedom around their career if they had more sources of income. And that's really kind of the direction that it ended up taking. But I feel like that original message, that original search for a thirst to be quenched around purpose and uniqueness and doing something different than the status quo has stayed with my business. And I still think it's why people feel like they can connect to my stories because they often went through something similar. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it's the story of the seduction of comfort versus uncertainty. Right. One of my mentors, Tony Robbins says that the quality of your life will be in direct proportion with the amount of uncertainty you can live with. And, you know, that path of predictability and having letters behind your name and having a steady paycheck, et cetera, is being seduced into us for a long, long time. And today now with COVID, et cetera, I think people are starting to realize that there's another way to live life, but they still have to deal with, okay, now how do I add value? So today you're a little further down the road. Are you able to, is this something where you are monetizing it to the point where you're like, okay, this is my thing? Yes. So it's a seven figure business now. We're a team of seven and I've been self-employed for three years now. Wow. And so things changed quickly. <laughs> yes. And so you, the blog is now you, you have ads that go through there. Tell us a little bit about how that works. So if there's other people, cause people talk about blogs and then a lot of times people are like, yeah, but okay, how am I going to actually make money? I don't really blog anymore. So I can't actually speak to it that much. What happened was I ended up, I tried everything under the sun to really monetize the website itself. So I did blogging, I did freelance writing, I did affiliate marketing, I did consulting, I've done coaching, I've done um, different, I tried YouTube. I mean, I really just got really all into the world of internet marketing as my platform itself was starting to grow and get momentum and and take off. And um, what I found that worked for me and kind of what we do now is we've released and I encourage my own clients when I teach them how to start a side hustle of their own to release the kind of label around what exactly it is that you, how you do what you do. Like, are you a blogger versus an influencer versus a podcaster versus a YouTuber versus a consultant? I don't really think it's helpful to have these uh, boxes that you put yourself in. I think it's more empowering, exciting, and creative. If you can find a, a mission for your platform. Mine is exactly what we've been talking about this whole time, helping people find their own way, helping people get out of the status quo and helping people give themselves permission to not do things in the way in which they've always thought they needed to. Um, And let yourself have fun with different ways in which you can can convey that message or that mission. So the way that um, I, I did it at first was through blogging about it. I don't blog as much anymore, but now what we do is we, I have a podcast. So that's kind of turned into my version of the blog because we we you know publish every podcast episode on on the site. The podcast is monetized through sponsored ads as well as through referencing my own digital products that I've created. And so through that, we have a few downloadable products that that talk about different ways that you can have this kind of platform and create it. And then I also do group kind of support containers. So it's a little bit of group coaching, a little bit of group consulting, a little bit of kind of event 
events uh, and mixing that all in between. I've kind of just hybrid, done a hybrid of things, but those yeah. are the main ways in which we monetize things now. Super cool. And so let's talk a little bit about that because we did before off air is, you know, a lot of times people are taught before you start a business is get your mission statement, get very clear, know what you want, head off in a direction. And I've done it both ways. One of the phrases that people know me for is say yes and figure it out later. Because so many times when you people psychologically, they walk into a store. Have you ever had this happen? You walk in a store, Leah, and somebody goes, can I help you? And what do you say? I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. Just looking, no, right? Just looking. Yep. And so when we break down the psychology on that is that most of us are afraid to make decisions because decisions have consequences. So we say, our, you know, our, our amygdala protects us and it says, no, 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 just looking, just looking. A great salesperson will ask a better question like, hey, Leah, did you come in for something specific? And mm -hmm. now it's harder to say just looking. You might say something. Actually, I came in to buy a present for my grandma or I'm pregnant. I'm looking for something for my kid, whatever. And it, it engages more. So that's a, a little sales tactic. But it happens also with getting clear on what you want to do with your life. If you're going to commit to becoming a lawyer, there's a huge commitment there. There's a consequence. There's, mm -hmm. there's years, there's money, there's what if I fail and all of that that comes up. So often it's easy to say, well, I'm not sure. So tell us a little bit briefly about, you know, you spent a month kind of mulling that over. And then you also had some insights on maybe it's better to take action and course correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I first started my blog, I did start a mission statement that I wanted to have for it. And I remember I, it took me about a month to publish it. So I had a Google doc going and I would revise it regularly. And I would also, I had friends look over it with me. Um, and I would kind of discuss different ideas that I had from it, et cetera. And it was something that I felt like I needed to do before I could push publish. I was a very afraid of the World Wide Web and things being permanently on there and what people would think about me if there was something on there that made me a laughing stock. All these fears that are, you know, comical in hindsight because no one even knew about my website the day I pushed publish. You know what I mean? Like, no one's no one's going to your site unless you're you're bringing them there and make shit up in our head. It's, it's incredible. It really is. So that is uh, what I thought I needed to do. And I spent all this time on this mission statement and finally pushed publish and realized exactly what I just said, that no one actually cared about what I was doing. And looking back, what I wish I would have known and the, a philosophy that I now similarly have to, to what you said is that you don't really know what your mission is. You don't really know what your why is. You don't really know who your ideal client is, all these things that we're led to believe we need to have figured out by, by studying them or by thinking about them, you have to engage with them. You have to engage with different ways of finding these things out in order to get those answers. So, you know, the mission statement we have now, honestly, I think that it has really kind of stayed the same, stayed true to the vision that I had when I started my blog or just kind of the, the platform that I had about empowering yourself and finding different ways and finding freedom on your terms, that's relatively stayed the same. But the way we do it, you know, now I can teach people how to make six figures in a month. When I was, when I started my blog, I was making like $45,000 a year. I had no idea how to do that. So if I would have kept waiting until I had the perfect 
how-to or the perfect way to do something or the perfect service, I would probably still be a paralegal just waiting for that thing to happen. But because I continued to push myself and try different things and, you know, like you said, say yes and figure things out later, my business was able to evolve. And that's why I have the clarity that I do now. But clarity doesn't come from being on the sidelines. Ooh, there's a quote. There's a quote. <laughs> oh, write that down, people. The clarity does not come from being on the sidelines. That's one of my favorite ones. That's beautiful. Have you ever said that before? I don't think so. It just, I think you pulled it out of me. I think you need to write that down and make that something that, that you teach to. That's a beautiful statement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you on that, Leah. <laughs> Thank you. I, I like it. Maybe I will start uh, sharing more of it. You know, so many people are these armchair quarterbacks. They're they're up in the stands. They're looking down on the field. They're making judgments. They're afraid to take action. They're saying, you know, we should walk into a store and be able to say, yeah, actually, I'm looking for something, but I don't even know what. Would you help me? Like, mm -hmm. you know, be vulnerable. Be open and connect with people. At the end of the day, we all want to connect and belong somewhere. So let's get off. Let's get people out of the stands, onto the field, Get them a little bit dirty, get them a little bit, you know, feeling the game. And it's so much easier to learn from there, don't you think? I do. It's the only way, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the feedback is physical. It's memorable versus theoretical and objective from this distance. So if people want to learn from your wisdom, they want to make six figures in a month, which so many mm -hmm. people would love to do from, mm -hmm. you know, from their home, from their laptop lifestyle, um, how can they get in touch with you? You can find me on my website, leahgervais.com. You also can message me on Instagram at leahgervais underscore. And you can email me at leah at leahgervais.com. I will probably not be on Instagram as much by the time this airs because I am about to have a baby. <laughs> so email would probably be what is best at this time. Okay, beautiful. Tell me, uh, let's go with one to three of the biggest mistakes that people make when they're trying to, you know, do what you've done. What did you learn that you're like, oh my God, had I only known this when I started? Mm. Uh, mistake number one is intertwining your business or your dreams or whatever your side project or side hustle, you know, whatever way you want to classify it in with your own self-worth. So a lot of times I have people say, hear people say, my business isn't doing X, Y, and Z. And it's because, or you can, you can tell that they're equating whatever the results in their business are to their own progress, to their own potential, to their own self-worth. This is a huge mistake. It has to be a separate entity. Otherwise, you're never going to do what's in the best interest of your business. You're going to do what is going to keep you safe. And remember, you can have the best mindset in the world, but you're still a human. You are still going to have to battle your subconscious mind, which is going to continually try to keep you safe. And you really need to, to see what is in the best interest of your business, which might not always feel like the safe route. It might feel incredibly risky. And likewise, if your business has a bad day, that doesn't need to mean that you have a bad day. If your business gets a rejection, that doesn't mean you get a rejection. It's very important to, to separate the two. So that's a big thing. Another big failure that I had or just mistake that I've made that I still have to remind myself is that mindset and having the right outlook toward your goals, toward your risk tolerance, and toward your vision is by far more important than what strategy you're using, what your Excel spreadsheet says, 
how organized your calendar is, or any of the other tactical things we like to point fingers at or almost cling on to when it comes to executing something, because those are more tangible. What's in your mind and how you're addressing things is the most important. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do know this at this point because personal development has become so mainstream and emphasized. It's not enough to know it. You have to practice it every day. You have to really be committed to your own development and the way you think and the way you would approach life and your business every day. And I think all entrepreneurs can be reminded of that from time to time, no matter how many years you've been doing this, you you can't out mindset your success. You know, there's no downside to continuing to do mindset work every day and, and do it specifically. And then I think the third biggest mistake and biggest failure that held me back for way too long was assuming that when I started selling things, it would be easier to sell lower priced things and starting and spending way too much time selling things at that cost $20, that cost $100, et cetera. But I thought, and I was afraid to sell things for higher. So I thought more people could afford them if they were lower priced. Therefore, more people would buy them. Therefore, I would make more sales. This logic doesn't really make sense. People don't buy based on price. They based on a result. So deliver something with a result that's worth a lot of money and you'll make more money faster. And nonetheless, even if people are buying your $20 t-shirt or $20 water bottle with ease, you still need to have a freaking massive audience to really make financial momentum with that, which takes years to cultivate and honestly quite a bit of, of, of marketing money. So don't talk yourself out of selling something at a reasonable price early on because you think it'll be easier to do it lower. Man, I love it. Full of information, knowledge, and wisdom. And it's so funny that it always comes back to mindset. Um, always. Which way you do. And it, that's intertwined with your own self-worth. So I really appreciate you weaving those things together. Leah Gervais, I've really appreciated your insights on this. And I still uh, stand by the mic drop of clarity doesn't come from being on the sidelines. Thank you so much for joining us on another session of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with other people so we can get the word out and make sure that you follow, follow Leah. We're going to have all of her details on the show notes. And you can always uh, subscribe to this if you're not already. Give us a great review. And we'll see you on the next episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Rock Thomas. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.